when the storm sirens go off. You ready to get yourself and your family down your storm shelter? Nah, man, not me. I opened up mine the other day. Grass clippings, dead spiders, a couple live spiders, a dead scorpion, live crickets were down there. Why would I have my wife and my family go down to that storm shelter? Can't even keep it clean. So what I decided to do, I called up StormCheck.team. They team up with local veterans to keep your storm shelter safe and clean. They offer their signature five-point service, which includes they get down there, they vacuum, they clean. Those dead spiders, grass clippings, live spiders, gone. It's sanitized. It's deodorized. They give you fresh water supply. Install a motion-sensored LED light. How brilliant is that? And they ensure that your shelter location is registered with your local emergency management office in your respective city, state, and town. Freaking brilliant. For the premium subscriber, you get to see them twice a year and you get a first aid kit. Give them a visit on their website, www.stormcheck.team. Get to know them. They're awesome. They're undefeated, just like your storm shelter will be. That's www.stormcheck.team. Stop being afraid of your storm shelter. Thank you so much for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. Get on social media. Find us on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast. On Twitter at Def Moments Pod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. We're on all sorts of podcasting platforms from Google to iTunes to iHeartRadio to Spotify. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it. We're also on YouTube so you can see the video edition. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it if you believe in it. And no matter what, show some appreciation today, every day, because someone is always rooting you on. All right, very good. Whenever you're ready. All right, ready? Yep. All right. One, two, three. Welcome back. To, that was really good. Thanks. That, that, I, I was so good that my, my watch popped off. Man. <laughs> Look at this. This is awesome. My name is Wong Lam. Today's podcast is brought to you by Freedom, the undefeated American dream, and the two-time state representative... Yes. And also the youngest chief in all the United States of the Second Fox Nation, Chief Wood. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you, sir. Absolutely. So I was the youngest chief. You were okay, you were. For for the first year plus I was in office. And okay. then um, one of my friends, Darrell Cooper the third, okay. was elected chief or chairman of the Apache tribe. Oh. So he's now the youngest, but that's all right. The second youngest there you go. There you go. chief <laughs> in the United States of America. Yeah. How's your day? It, today is going really well. Yeah. Uh, work is crazy right now, but it's <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, it's it's a day by day process. Yeah. But it's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Family, kids doing really well. How about you? Man, fantastic. My wife is working from home. I get to drive her new Jeep. Enjoying the freedom. <laughs> like, oh. Was that your Jeep with the American flag? Oh, yeah. Come on now. That's a freedom rig. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah. Do you remember how we actually really started communicating? Twitter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think I commented on, was it Matt Pinnell's tweet? <laughs> or did he comment on mine? I, I think he commented, yeah. He commented on my tweet. Yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, on Twitter. Then we got together at camps. Yeah. And had some coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Twitter's a good thing. Twitter is a good it's thing. It's also a terrible thing. It can be a terrible thing. So it's, yeah, uh, it's, absolutely. There's the good and the bad that comes with it. But I think I've got a, I've made a lot of friends. Yeah. 
on Twitter. So you met some some really some people. cool people on Twitter. Yeah, made some really cool connections on Twitter. Um, more so maybe than any other social media platform. Right. For whatever reason. That's interesting. I think it's. Uh, I think it may be. It's got some issues right now yeah. that concern me, but I think uh, overall it might be the most effective platform, mm. uh, especially to have dialogue. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, it's you take the good with the bad. The bad with the good, I guess you should say. Yeah, you so have to. taking the good with yeah. the bad. <laughs> I'll take the good with the good. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's even better. <laughs> I, I, that's what I desire. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. You, uh, you're on Twitter, and... I see this tweet come across. I'm just going to ask you. Okay. Do you feel like you're the same person in real life as you are on Twitter? Oh, gosh. Um, I hope I'm a much better person than I am in either place as usually. <laughs> <laughs> so, I th yeah, I, I would say that I've never been different on social media than I am in real life. Right on. Um, I think there have been times where I have to... I think everybody is emboldened by by the ability to type something and drop it yeah. and then walk away yeah, and then see what kind of explosion happens afterwards. I don't ever want to be that way. So I, I find myself oftentimes, I may be less real on social media than maybe my feelings are, like my emotions. Yes, for sure. Uh, because uh, I have some time to think about it first. But I, I think mostly I'm the exact same person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like for me the same way, I tend to hold back as far as getting so emotionally charged and bent to the world. Not everybody does that. <laughs> right. And I'd rather just confide with my wife, talk to her, talk to my close yeah, friends. Yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe shoot you a text and say, hey, what do you think about it's this? It's a great way to do it. And then off we go. That's right. Because the world doesn't need to hear about Wong Lam and how ticked off he is about everyone. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to have a constructive conversation. But, but that's... The key phrase, constructive conversation. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. 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 Before we get deeper, man, I, we got a swag bag. It's oh, a rice bag. I love that. There's no rice in it. Oh, no rice. <laughs> but we do have some gifts for you. Your awesome. dad's a police officer. He is 34 correct? years, nearly 35. Please thank him from us. Absolutely. And please have oh, He'll love it. He, uh, he wore his, uh, he has a hat with uh, the American flag on the front with the blue strip on it. Oh, man. Not nice. exactly. He's going to love this. He's going to love it. That's awesome. And this is yours. Oh, very good. Love it. Yes, sir. And these are both for you. Sorry about it. Uh, you just have to... Don't worry about it. Them. Awesome. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I'll put it right here next to my phones. <laughs> so you don't forget them. <laughs> yeah. So let's, you're the two-time state representative, back-to-back -back champion, undefeated. Und, un, I'm undefeated there. <laughs> yes, in fact, I'm undefeated in political races. That's amazing. More importantly, I'm undefeated in political races that I voted in this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's more important to me now than my past political success. I, uh, I'm not always, I don't always win races I, I, I vote in. Sometimes yeah. I vote for people that don't win. Yeah. Um, but, and I don't always vote for people that I think are going to win. You yeah. know, it's, I think it's important to vote for the right person, yeah. um, regardless of whether or not I think they can win. For sure. Uh, it's painful sometimes because mm -hmm. I usually get emotionally invested in, in their races and, yeah. and so it's, uh, it's politics. I'm very passionate about politics yeah. and the role it has. Uh, the impact it has in our everyday lives. Most people don't think about that, mm -hmm. and uh, they're probably happier people. <laughs> but it's, but I think I mean it, whether it's school board or um, all the way to president of the United States, your yeah. vote is so important 
to vote for the person that you most, you know, identify with and mm -hmm. they can yeah. do the best for your, for what, what you're voting for. But. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I love politics. I love history mm -hmm. and I try to have constructive conversations. You know, sometimes I get, get passionate, but they're never like, dude, it's my way or it's no, it's never like that. I will say though, sometimes I feel like a lot of my friends that I, that I converse with focus too much on the high, the very top, when we should be focusing on the state because that affects you. Right. I mean, the closer to yeah. you, the more important it is. Mm -hmm. I really do believe that. Yeah. Um, however, I mean, it's, uh, you don't see that sometimes. You don't see yeah. the, uh, the impact that your vote for school board actually has, especially yeah. if your kids are out of school. You know, right. You're not paying attention as much as you used to to yeah. what the schools are doing around you. Um, yeah. Or if you don't send your kids to public school, mm -hmm. but you still have the opportunity if you live in that area to vote on school board. I, I just think those are some of the most important races to be to focusing on the city council races. And, and, and those are usually people you should have a better opportunity to know. Right. Because of their, you know, the accessibility. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I think the education of our children when it comes to civics and 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 government is not where it should be and and actually i'd start a week from monday teaching a homeschool um civics class about elections and wow so i'm gonna take them from the i think that's the 14th whatever the data that monday is all the way through yeah. the presidential election and so it's gonna be a lot of fun but yeah so uh, it's that important to me i like to be involved in it that's awesome and i don't have any kids that are seventh and eighth grade but it's seventh and eighth grade uh, government civics class. Yeah. What? I mean, can I watch this too? Yeah, uh, I will. I'll see if I can send some to you. <laughs> well, that'd be cool. Yeah. I can have it on one screen while I'm working. Yeah. There you go. There you hey, go. I, that's chief. There I recognize go. the voice, recognize the hair. <laughs> recon well, I don't recognize the boots. Cause those, you will probably won't see the boots in there. Yeah. But those are nice. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. They're from Goodwill. Yeah. Very good. Yep. I like a Goodwill it. Goodwill fan. <laughs> <laughs> so without revealing your age unless you want to you you've been in politics for the last five six years walk us through what what's your mindset like what got you really involved sure so so i'm 30. okay right so yeah. i've been in i've really been in <laughs> politics for 12 years so i was 18 when i decided i was going to run for the my house seat that i ended up winning uh shawnee so it's house district 26 and the my predecessor was the speaker of the house chris Steele. And I read in the newspaper one morning that he was terming out. And I was like, wow, if I'm going to run for the seat, I mean, they're going to do it now. I'm probably going to have to wait 12 years. Because most people, if they're fortunate enough and do well enough, will get reelected. I mean, yeah. the more, majority of people are getting reelected year after year, which, I mean, the good ones, that's great. The ones that don't do so good, you know, hopefully their constituents are paying attention. But the, uh, and, and so I just got, well, I had not quite gotten married yet at that point. Olivia and I were engaged and the year before that, so well, early the, the summer before that, that winter, the summer of 20, uh, summer of 2008, um, we, I had a page for Chris Steele at the Capitol. And so that was my first time even being to the Capitol since I'd been a kid. Uh -huh. So I was a senior in high school and I was paging for, for Chris and, Remember, I was just kind of walking around the Capitol when I was bored. I mean, paging is not a lot of fun. It's like a mess unless you're into yeah, unless yeah. you're into politics. Right. And at that point, I wasn't, and I was bored. And so I'm walking down the second floor, 
and there's this set of doors they're just big this big it looked big to this 18 year old kid and i open the doors up and there's nobody down this hallway yeah and it's there on that west that west wing of the capitol and it's where the old supreme court offices were before they moved it across the street and i'm walking down the hallway and there's a door that's open i'd go sit down and i'm sitting in there hanging out finally i think maybe i should go back upstairs anyway you know four years later i'm i'm in that office that's actually the office i ended up in wow and so it's i tell a lot of people that story and it's to me my political journey you know just started with me wanting to make a difference Mm. my dad's a police officer like we've already established my mom's a teacher and i really wanted to be a police officer and my dad spent years (laughs) talking me out of that he wanted me to do something that was safer and was less political right he wanted me and he wanted me to make more money ultimately and so he didn't want me to be a police officer talked me out of it so I went to school to be a teacher, you know, just, uh, I was never, I was never destined to make any money, okay. but service was just, it was something that it was ingrained into me by my parents mm. and watching my dad uh, work. He was the resource officer at Shawnee high school for 18 years and watching him work with students and uh, get to know students and their families and making a difference in their lives. My entire life, yeah. like my entire life, he was at Shawnee high school. Um, and my brother, uh, graduated from Shawnee High School a couple years after me. And now my dad is the resource officer at North Rock Creek where my kids go to school. Wow, that's so cool. It's, uh, it's pretty neat to for them to get to experience their grandpa as mm-hmm. the, as a, or they call him Papa, Papa Freeland. Yeah. And uh, they uh, get to experience watching him work with students and be involved in their lives and showing them, you know, this is who a police officer really is. And yeah. I think if you ever talk to any kids that were at Shawnee High School during those 18 years, there may be a few that made bad decisions and they may not like him for those reasons. But mm-hmm. I mean, if I tell you what, if they, if the majority of kids hadn't liked my dad, there's no way I would have been elected. To office. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, yeah, it's a, I wanted to be in service in public service and it just so happened that I was old enough at the right time to run for office and, and uh, reading the newspaper one morning and told the woman I was going to marry that I'm going to run for office one day, probably. And this might be our chance. And, it just sort of kind of fell together. But Man. So did two terms, 2012 to 2016, and um, decided not to run again. We had just had my third child, Finley, wow. in, in February of that year. And just it just seemed like a, a lot uh, yeah. was going on. And my priorities weren't right where they needed to be, I felt. And so I wanted to, mm-hmm. I wanted to be closer to home all the time. And, and fortunately, I was just driving from Shawnee to Oklahoma City. Yeah. So that's not too bad of a drive right but just you're never off work yeah you're always on there's you go to walmart you got to be on i mean and it's uh, and that was just a something that i was i it, just on two years in, in two terms it had worn on me in four mm-hmm. years it had worn on me so decided not to run again and um that to me i thought that was probably the end of it for me yeah i really did i thought that was probably the end of politics for me and um I would be work. I went to work for Big Brothers Big Sisters during my second term in yeah. Shawnee, and they invited me to, to uh, take the, over the Tulsa office. And so we moved our family to Tulsa, and, and for about a year, I, I drove back and forth for three months, and then we moved to Tulsa for eight months. Mm-hmm. And then we found out we're having our fourth kid. Oh my goodness! All the families back in Shawnee. Yeah. So that's that's where we went back to, and yeah. ended up getting a government relations job with the American Cancer Society, and. And, um, that's how I ended up back at the Capitol. Yeah. And uh, so I was, I was basically lobbying 
but I was still in that nonprofit sector that I really right. enjoy and appreciate. And man, that's it's crazy. How's campaigning though? Like you did you have any you didn't have any experience no, prior, well, right? None really. Yeah, very little. I yeah. Mean, the extent of my campaigning was I think I put some signs out for for Shane Jet whenever he was running for Congress the year before I decided to run for office. And so it's, um, not, that was the, that was it. I mean, you knock on doors. I did not, I had not done any of that at that point. And so it was a, it was a crazy, uh, awakening to what people go through to run for office. Cause I'm like, I mean, I'm 20. As yeah. I'm knocking, I was not even 21 yet when I started knocking doors and you have to be 21 to, to be a house member. Wow. And so that was, to me, it was just a, everyone, I mean, everyone, just looked at me as a kid, I'm sure, as I'm knocking on these doors, because I don't, I mean, I don't quite look 30 now, I don't think. No. And so, I mean, at 21, I looked like I may have been 14 or 15, probably. <laughs> some people. My beard wasn't nearly as thick as it is now. <laughs> a little spotty at times. And so it, yeah, it was, it was weird, um, a weird experience, but yeah. it was a good experience. I mean, it's uh, um, great. I mean, great reception at the doors when I knocked, we knocked a ton of doors. I was working full time and going to school full time when I started. And my dad was working mid, he had just left the high school and would, would knock doors for me during the day because he was working midnight. So he'd get off at seven in the morning mm -hmm. and not and go home and eat some breakfast, maybe take a nap, and then go knock doors from nine until I got off work. Wow. I'd tap out with him. He'd go home and sleep. We knocked every door, every registered voter in the district. And my dad felt so bad to skip a house that if he saw someone outside, he'd hand it to him. They probably weren't even a registered voter, yeah. but he'd still hand him a pamphlet and I had to remind him those cost money. But yeah. uh, my dad is just really, he, I mean, he just, I mean, he really is a, he, both my parents, really good people. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and uh, love people. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an important quality, but yeah, no, it's uh that was a rude awakening, learning how to campaign. And I did it without a consultant. So we had no consultant. Um, and my opponent had a consultant, um, he raised forty five, fifty thousand dollars. I raised four thousand. Like it was in. Dang. It was, there, we had no business winning that race, and um, and we just, and you know, we just worked like we were going to. Yeah, and we did. So yeah, it worked out. But that's awesome. Yeah. Take me back, or take everyone back to the first time you went up to the, knock on someone's door. Your very first. I time. remember the door, uh, and uh, the lady's last name. I still couldn't pronounce it this day. It was a. Uh, I think it was probably a Czechoslovakian last name, uh -huh. if I remember correctly, and couldn't pronounce it. And I get to the doorstep, and her hu husband had just passed away, like just a few months before. And so both their names were on the list because they hadn't, I mean, hadn't been cleaned at that point. And so we uh, well, I knocked that door, and I don't even remember what I said. But she was one. She became my first supporter. <laughs> really? I, I mean, I knocked it so early, and I, my opponent hadn't even probably started knocking doors yet, and. And uh, I remember I just told her who I was. I'm Justin Wood, and I'm running to be your state representative. And if you have any questions for me, I'll sit here and answer all of them. And 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 she, I don't think she asked, asked a single question, but she told me that she wasn't really interested in politics, but her husband always was. Mm. And so we we talked about that for a minute. And I remember I I probably knocked her door three times because I think I knocked we knocked everyone's door I think three times at least. That's cool. Um, in that primary. And after that, we, we slowed down a little bit after we got through the primary. But yeah, it was yeah. Uh, quite the experience. But just getting to know people right. and what they care about. Yeah. And if they, if there's someone who's involved 
in the community, they they always have a little bit more to say. Yeah. But my favorite conversations were with people who didn't get a lot of visitors and they just wanted to talk. Mm. And I, I loved that because I mean it was it was a lot more about them and less about me. Yeah, yeah. And that's to me, I'd, I'd much rather talk about you than talk about myself. But yeah. Um, but no, yeah, it's knocking doors. It's a whole. If you don't like to knock doors, politics should not be for you. Yeah. It's really where you get to know the people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and everybody, anybody can knock doors. It, you just have to be willing to answer hard questions and be okay if one slams in your face. And yeah. And usually it's not you they're rejecting. They're usually rejecting the party you're affillated with. Oh, I got door you. slams in your face. I Unless you, you really tick some people off. But, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are a couple things you've learned from your first campaign that, because you didn't have a consulting right so don't be afraid to ask for money that was one thing i think i had a fear of a fundraising and or i think we would have raised more money because we had a great network of friends and family and and i think we would have raised more money had i been less fearful to, to call mm. and ask for money and i said a lot of people are willing to invest in you i mean there really are a ton of people that are willing to invest in you and you just have to be willing to ask the question like, would you, I mean, you, you say you're my friend or you, you know, you know what we believe in the same thing. Would you be willing to invest in that belief? And, and so I think I learned to not be afraid to ask and yeah. I, I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. And, and then of course, I think listening, I learned a lot about listening Yeah. and I, I like to talk as you're hearing right now, <laughs> but, um, I'm learning through marriage, through being a father, um, how important and then through campaigning, how important it is really to, and being an, an elected official, mm -hmm. uh, listening to someone is much more important than anything that I can give them. Uh, if I, if I come in wanting to solve their problem and not willing to listen to what's going on, yeah. then I may miss something else that needs help. And, and I might have the ability to serve them, but if I don't listen, right. then that goes for whether it's being chief or state representative or uh, being a husband or, or father how important it is to sit there and listen to what the needs actually are before I go in and try to prescribe a solution. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. The, obviously you're only 30. Yeah. Do you have any defining moments you'd like to share oh, with goodness. our listeners? Sure. So, you know, I, uh, I was thinking about this of course, because you know, defining moments. Yeah. So I probably have, I probably have, a t well, I probably have more than one, I think probably my defining moment that probably hasn't, it probably hadn't quite settled. It's, it maybe not hasn't, maybe it still hasn't settled itself, but my wife and I met in, uh, <clears throat> in, um, you probably have to edit that cough out. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably right in the mic. It's going to, it's going to deafen someone who's listening. The, uh, so my wife and I met, it, on Wednesday night youth group at, at church where we still go today. So my wife's gone there for 30 years. I've been since her birth and I've been going there for 14 years in January. And I met uh, Ben, Ben is his name and he's my youth pastor. He was our youth pastor. And so I think maybe my defining moment was when he and his wife were, they decided they were going to do mission work. They were, they were called to mission work. And I remember we went out to her parents' house, to his wife's parents, Kendra's parents' house, and we were saying goodbye. I mean, so this is a process. They go through the whole process of, of, um, of, of learning about where they're going to go and all these types of mm -hmm. things. And 
when he when they when the day they left, I just remember how much it hurt. And I remember holding holding my my friend Ben and just giving him a hug and and uh, just like just bawling like mm. a child because this man had discipled me. He had taught me um, what it was like to be a follower of Christ and. And it had only been for a few years because I didn't meet him until I was 17, yeah. 16. I think I just turned 17 actually when I met him. And so, and just, I remember just like wiping my face on his shoulder and, and as, as, he, as he's about, as we're, we're leaving the house and they're about to leave the next day to, to finish up their training. And, and, um, I remember just thinking I had lost that mentor. Uh, and I think that's, that was hard for me. I think, it's starting to come full circle. I got to spend some time with him recently and, mm-hmm. and visit with him about how I just never found that person to replace him. Never found that person who would be my, who would, who would disciple me and, and be my mentor and, and never, just never replaced it. Um, certain people had have, have probably filled that role in a, in a secular sense, but I'd never really found that person right. in my faith to, to, to be my mentor and disciple me. And, and, uh, I think I still probably search for that to this day. Mm-hmm. So I don't, that's why I don't think it's over yet. But that moment right. of like realizing I, I was losing that person yeah. Yeah, was hard. And so anyway, I mean, I think that thinking about it, I think that was that moment of, yeah. of just losing that person that really defined. And I think at that point, as a, I think I was 19 at that point, 18 or 19. And so I probably only known him for two years at that point. But, um, just that feeling of loss and not knowing where to go. And I think a lot of my marriage and um, my my decision making process could have been aided by having someone like that still there. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've we've survived all the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah. God's good, but um, I think that loss defines define a lot of who I am. Right. Which is why I was sitting there thinking about it. I mean, it was it's important to think about defining moments. Yeah. Because I hadn't really even thought about that as being one, but that was the one that stuck in my head as I'm going through trying to find one. And, and there's a lot of times in my life that I think, I mean, whether it's you know election day or sitting next to a relative as they're about to pass away, mm-hmm. or or having these really intimate conversations that um, define who you are. I think everyone yeah. probably has multiple moments, but Absolutely. that one to me sticks out as one that still hasn't been. Um, there's been no, there maybe hasn't been resolution to it, and we'll yeah. see. And we'll see as I as I continue to grow and as I look for that person or as that person finds me or as I start discipling other people, as I, as I go through that process, which I have done, but there's that need for someone there to be your mentor, to be that person that, that looks after you, teaches you about, and for me, teaches me about my faith and, yeah. and how to react in certain situations and for that to have been lacking and for me still to go through some of the things I've gone through in leadership mm-hmm. positions. And, and there's been a lot of men who've stepped up in my life, my dad and, uh, uh, Freeland and my grandfather Clint and that have stepped up into that role, yeah. but maybe not in that faith role. Yeah. And so that to me, I'm still probably still searching for that, yeah. but also doing my best to, to do it well for other people while I search for it myself. Yeah. And so that to me is defining. Have you, you say you spoke to him recently. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Did you ever let him know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I told him, I said, it's, it's crazy that we, uh, cause I was, in fact, you and I talked that day on my way home from visiting. Mm-hmm. With him. Oh, okay. Um, we um, we talked about it, and it's not their fault. They were going to do what they were supposed to do, and right. and really, I should have. I mean, I was a kid, I was a young adult. Should have been more proactive in finding it, like in looking for it, and, and maybe it wasn't supposed to be 
to, to go that way for me. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm supposed to have multiple men pour into me and and uh, be a part of, of who I am and, and, and what, uh, what, you know, what my journey looks like. And, yeah. but yeah, we talked about it and it was a good conversation. And, and, uh, I don't know that he realized that, but so he has a Bible that he gave me before he left. And it was one that I think he, I think it's what he taught out of whenever we were in youth group and he gave it, it's been in every office I've been in from the Capitol to where I am to wow. the, the Capitol complex that we have at the second Fox nation. And so it just sits there on my, uh, on my, any table that I have. And sometimes I use that to read from, I have another Bible that I, that I usually study out of, but it sits there and it just reminds me like, um, I'm accountable to more than just myself. I'm accountable mm-hmm. to men and I'm most importantly, I'm accountable to God. And so, um, I think that, uh, so his influence on me, uh, his name's Ben just was, was profound and really yeah. don't think about those things until you, you sit down and force yourself to think about your defining moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true, man. So aside from your your father and Ben, mm-hmm. what are maybe one or two more mentors that, or that you sure. learned from? Sure. So uh, my grandfather, Clint, is actually my wife's grandfather. And so he's actually, when I decided to run for office, um, I actually didn't decide until after he was like, you're going to do it. You're going, you're going to go run for office. And he went to his bedroom, got his checkbook out, wrote me my first check. <laughs> And for my campaign and, and he believed in me. And uh, I mean, I was, I think I was probably 19 when I decided I was going to run. Yeah. And so there was, I mean, it was a solid two year campaign. Yeah. Like it, it was, it was, it was way longer than it needed to be. And, <laughs> and uh, he, he drove, he, his name's Clint and he took me, he drove me door knocking. He, um, you know, he sat there with me when I thought that why am I doing this? Like, why am I putting myself and my family through this race for office that I, there's no way I'm going to win. Um, and so actually, so he has cancer and, uh, we, uh, we're walking through that together right now. And, and so about two or three times a week, I get to sit with him and mm-hmm. spend time with either before work or after work and, and, and kind of reflect on some of these things and yeah. pray together and, and <clears throat> talk about the, uh, um, the important things in life. And, and that's so client, my dad for sure. And then, and then Ben probably, uh, there's a lot of people at the Capitol. Earl yeah. Sears, um, was a state representative for, for 12 years for six terms, full, you know, fulfilled his term limits and had a big influence on, on the way I, I look at, uh, leadership. He's from Bartlesville. Um, and, uh, Dennis Casey was one of those men, representative Casey was one of those men for me, um, that really had a huge in, impact on, the way I look at what public service looks like. Yeah. If you're going to be a, an elected official, this is the way you should look. And this is the way you should act. This is the way you should treat people. And and those those two those those two men for sure, Dennis Casey and Earl Sears, had a huge impact on me when it came to uh, what a public servant should look like. Mm. And yeah, because I was a kid. Yeah. And they were. I mean, I was 21 when I took office, and they were in their you know. 50s or 60s when they took off. It's probably their 60s when they took off. Yeah. Both were wow. educators and wow. But it was important to have those type of men around. Oh, absolutely, for sure. But, when you look back at when they're telling you this is what it should look like mm-hmm. to your true authentic person, do you feel like it's been pretty much congruent as far as? Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's I don't serve people for myself or any right. of my own gain, and that's something that as I was evaluating why I should or should not run again back in 2016. So it was March 2016 when filing happens and I just didn't file for office. Mm-hmm. And what are the, what are the, 
pros on filing again and what are the cons and and to me I felt like the only reason I would have ran again was because I it was for me like if I was going to run again it was going to be because I didn't want to look like a quitter or uh, or I didn't want to give up the authority that I had or I mean and then there there were some positives of course like I still love serving people yeah but the, the but the other cons of course were you know less time with my family and you know, we just had our third kid and I can, I mean, I remember coming home every day at lunch to hold my oldest because I worked right down the street. Mm -hmm. And then with my, with my, with my second child, with Everett, I don't remember, I mean, a handful of times that I got to do that type of thing with him the first yeah. couple of years that he was alive. It was the first four years, really, because he was born in my first year in office. And so I didn't want that to happen again with my, with my third kid and with Finley. And so, um, so when she was born, that's really probably when the wheels started turning. Like maybe it's time to, and it, at that point it had been, I mean, through almost four years of being in office and yeah. I enjoyed it. But the, the reasons for running again were outweighed by the reasons not to run. Mm. And to me, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it just so people would look at me and say, well, he served for, he served his six terms. Like he was a, like, that's a big deal. People yeah. think of that. I mean, it really is a. Some people run for that last term, even though they're miserable because they don't want to look like someone that didn't fulfill their term limits. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, and, and to me, it was just more important to to be at home and serving my family in a better way, and and see, it just outweighed it. Yeah. But now they taught me a lot of things about um, how important it is to to put uh, really to put people above party. Yeah. And so to me, when I ran as a Republican, I didn't, I don't agree with everything on the platform and, and, uh, but I definitely agree with more of it than I did on the other side. Mm. And so, but you know, I was always pro public education and I got beat up on that a lot. And, and, but what they taught me was, I mean, if you, if you truly believe you're helping the most people, then you vote that way. I mean, you're always, always help the most people as you can. Mm. And, and, Every vote has an impact on people, whether it's about car tags or or it's about teacher pay increase. Yeah, I mean it's uh, every single vote has to do with people. And I took some tough votes that my party didn't like, and and um, but it was important for me to take those votes. Yeah, because I felt like it best represented thirty eight thousand people that that called me their state representative. And I think looking back on it, I don't. There's not a single vote I regret. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, there's a few votes that I could look at and I could have gone either way on, but, yeah. but there's not a single one that I regret. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. And I don't know if that would have been the case if I'd served full 12 years. I mean, there's, there's no telling, but right. I'm really, really happy with where I left it. Right on. Yeah. That's awesome. So you went, you have a three year span mm -hmm. from being state to now the second youngest yeah, chief in the United States. Yeah. However, you are the chief of the Sac and Fox Nation. Correct. How did this all play into politics, leaving politics into this role? Uh, so I figured I was done. Um, just really enjoyed not being in politics. Yeah. Not because I didn't. I don't enjoy helping people, or it's just there. I mean, you can't make everybody happy. Yeah. And if if I have a if I have a fault, if I have a worst fault, it would be that I can't stand it when people are upset with me. Mm. Like I'll do anything anything I possibly can to make you happy. Yeah. And I'm learning how to deal with that. <laughs> but but that, that was probably something where every single vote ticked off somebody. 
Like there is no way to take a vote without making someone upset. Yeah. And I just could I just couldn't get past that. And I mean, my last election, I won with seventy four percent of the vote, and I was wow. ticked I couldn't get the other eighteen percent. Twenty eight percent. Sorry, I just yeah. did math poorly. Sixteen. Twenty six percent. Seventy four percent. Seventy four percent. Yeah. Twenty six percent. I was yeah. upset I couldn't get the other twenty six percent. Math I was not good at. And so I'll be an independence air force, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so math I was not good at. But um no, we uh, I was upset I couldn't get that those rest of the people to vote for me. I was like, what did yeah. I do so wrong that they wouldn't vote for me? Yeah. And it was a silly, silly thing to be upset about. And so um anyway, um I was a uh, um I'm a I always felt like I needed to be a people pleaser. And that's not really, that's not really what I should be doing, but serving people is important. And so Mm -hmm. I missed that a lot. And so when the opportunity came to serve people again in this way, it was just, uh, we prayed about it for a while and, and talked to family about it. And it just seemed like, why not take the chance? If if I can, if I can glorify God and, and, and help people, then I need to do it. Mm. And so we did it and we put our effort into it and we ended up winning a, a four-way race outright without having to go to a runoff. And, and so I got 50 plus 1% of the vote and didn't have to worry about that second race. And, um, which was really a blessing because that, that was, it was really two months. It was like a, we decided the last day of filing that I was going to file for the, to be chief. And, and it was like, a, it was a marathon two months. Yeah, and I was worn out by the time that it was over, and I didn't. It was really a blessing not to have to go through it again, not to have to go through another, another election, and so we. Uh, but I think. I th- I think the experience has been better. Not that the house was a bad experience, but I think right. this experience has been better. Because of just like the role was just different. Yeah. it's more administrative than it is political and in the house it's always political mm-hmm. like it, well, yeah. every day is politics um you got caucus politics you've got committee politics you've got floor politics you've got politics outside the capital politics wow when in this it's just it just you go do your job every day you try yeah. to make sure you're helping people and taking care of tribal members and helping the communities out around you and yeah and to me it's it's been I guess it's only been a little bit over a year, but it's been rewarding. Yeah. And the fact that I know when I go to work that I'm going to be able to help people. That's awesome. And getting yelled at is not nearly as bad. <laughs> um, I, and I get yelled at sometimes. I can't make everybody happy. But uh, it's not nearly as bad as getting yelled at for making the, the vote that ticks somebody off. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah. Is there, and if I misspeak, please correct me, Chief. Is there a incumbent was there an incumbent of the chief yeah so there was an incumbent chief okay. and who ran again for re-election and the second chief also ran and so we are we have a five-member business committee a chief second chief treasurer secretary and committee member okay and so the, the incumbent chief and the second chief both ran for chief again so um it was me versus two incumbents basically and then there was a fourth person that ran and so um that was difficult because I'm I'm a young guy still right. running against two people with some experience mm-hmm. and and so that was an uphill battle. But we, we knocked doors, we mailed we did a lot of mail, which had not really been done before in races for the Second Fox Nation anyway. Mm-hmm. And we did phone calls. I mean we did everything like a modern campaign would see just to introduce myself because that was one thing where 
um, I was probably lacking. If I was lacking anything, if it wasn't an age, it was just in people didn't know me very well. Yeah. Tribal members didn't know me very well. Now, a lot of them had, had the opportunity to vote for me for state house because yeah. Shawnee has a high population of, of Sac and Fox tribal members. And so yeah. they knew my name. And my dad is really well respected. And so that, of course, just introducing myself. And really, you introduce yourself by who your father is and your grandfather, your aunts, mm. your uncles, grandparents. And so uh, my family has done a really good job of, of uh, keeping their you know integrity and and representing yeah. themselves where, well and so that helped oh course. yeah but it was an uphill battle but yeah so yeah i took on the incumbent and the second <laughs> chief and and it was difficult but but it was good i mean it's i'm really good friends with the with the second chief um that was there yeah and so she she didn't run for she ran for the chief so she gave up her other spot and so she's no longer second chief but we have a good relationship and have been able to work together and on a lot of issues and, and she does she actually works for the tribe now and so we were able to work together on things and that worked out really well yeah. i don't see the former chief very much but right. um but i would say that we probably still have a friendship as well too yeah do you have a watch party <laughs> so no you, no we didn't we didn't i was so tired i went and voted and then olivia <laughs> took me and she's not a tribal member so she couldn't vote for me um but she she took me up to oklahoma city and we went and had lunch together and this is pre-pandemic of course you know yeah so, yeah yeah for sure so it was over a year ago and and so we went up and and had some chips and salsa together and 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 just and there was a downpour and so we just kind of drove slow down i-40 back home and went and waited it out actually fell asleep before the results came back results came back about one in the morning and so i woke up just in time to just <laughs> By God's providence, woke up at just right before they announced it and saw that I'd won it without having to go to. I said, I, I won it by, I think I got 13 votes more than I needed to to get out, out of, right. to, to win it outright, yeah. which is perfect. Like it was, I mean, it, all I needed was one more. And so it worked out really well. And, and uh, it probably surprised some people, but it was, I know it surprised some people outside yeah. of the, the tribe for sure. Yeah. Um, but it was, to me, I think, just kind of after it was over, gathering everybody together and, and creating a team and, and knowing that moving forward, we're going to work together. Yeah. And that's, that's the mentality I've tried to take everywhere was, you know, it's, we may not all get what we want, but let's work together and, and move forward. Yeah. So what does leadership mean to you and how does it feel? So leadership is about communication and about your ability to communicate your vision that you want to follow or, or to pursue with the people around you and you have to be able to communicate that in a way mm -hmm. that they both trust you and 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 agree yeah if they don't agree with you maybe they at least trust you right yeah. and so it's about your ability to communicate your vision and and then bring people with you and so building that trust through the way you communicate and trans and tra being transparent those are those are important aspects of leadership but I watched my dad do it as a police officer, and um, and the way he communicated with people was was a, was a was a really probably defines the way I communicate with people. Yeah, and they're they're important. Mm -hmm. You are in, you are important to me, and so because of that, I'm going to listen to you. And maybe you've done something wrong. Like yeah. I watched him when he would deal with people, and and um, I watched him. I as a kid. I went, we would go to the movies all the time and I watched my dad one day, we're, we're at the movie theater and 
I watched my dad go up to the register to go get some popcorn and a Coke. And, and I saw this really big guy come up to my dad. And my dad kind of looked at my mom and my brother and, and me and said, just kind of going, he's like kind of scooted us in. Yeah. And so I kind of watched out the corner of my eye what, he, what was going on outside the door as he was talking to this guy. And this guy gave him a hug. And I went to the counter and bought my dad's popcorn and his drinks. And, and I was like, that's strange. Like, why would he not want to surround that person? Yeah. Anyway, it was someone my dad had put in jail. Oh. He'd arrested this man. And he spent some time in, in prison. And But the way my dad approached arresting him and approached, I'm, I'm assuming, afterwards as well, yeah. um, impacted that man. And he was thanking my dad for... You know, intervening in his life in such a way that that's really why I wanted to be a police officer. And yeah, you know, my dad talked me out of it, but it's not. <laughs> and I can see why he talked me out of it. Yeah, <laughs> thankful for that. But uh, you know, it's just that type of leadership where you're servant-minded, and and really, it's the Bible teaches me about leading as well. Uh, Man. Uh, leading from the bottom and uh, serving and and doing what I can to work with the people I'm leading. And I don't ever want to be the guy that sits in my office and watches other people work. I I can't stand that. I've had bosses like that. And to me, if my hands aren't dirty, then I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. I should always be getting dirty, getting sweaty or or, uh, stamping envelopes or whatever it happens to be that we're doing as a team. I want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And that's not to pat myself on the back, but that's just to show everybody that, I mean, I believe in what we're doing right. so much so that I'm involved in it. Yeah. And it's not just something that I want you to do so you can go get a paycheck. I mean, this is something that's important to our people mm. or whatever it happens to be that you're doing. It's an important part of society doing this simple project. Yeah. And so when I'm able to, I get involved in that. And, and I think it's, but just watching my dad lead that way, um, was, was important for me. And, and I think, uh, probably helped define yeah. you know, the way I look at leadership. Yeah. And, but communication is just so important. And yeah. if you don't have it, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are, or how great your idea is, or uh, you know how good looking you are. Mm-hmm. If you can't communicate, I mean, throw it out. <laughs> and there's no reason. There's no reason to try to be a leader if you're not, unable to communicate. Yeah. But yeah. Man. Do you try to, as a leader, when someone doesn't agree with you, how do you try to maybe not necessarily change their mindset because it's hard to change someone's mindset, but how do you get them to say hey man actually maybe let me look at your way sure so for me if someone brings a different idea to me i first have to consider maybe their idea is better that's the first consideration i give it is their idea Mm. better than the idea i had and i i i gauge that against many different things like is it a rational idea is it going to help people is it going to make our life harder is it going to make our life easier? Yeah. Like those are all things um, I kind of I kind of measure it against that first. Is it ethical? Like you have to you have to gauge these things on depending on what the question is or what the idea is. Right. And can we get people bought in? Like maybe it's an idea we can do along with it. I mean, and and so my goal is never to. If I have an idea, my goal isn't to beat you over the head with it and say this is what we're going to do. Right. Some leaders lead that way, and sometimes it works. Um, I don't think it's as effective long term. Right. It definitely doesn't win you friends. Yeah. So it's a. To me, it's always about me first looking and saying maybe I'm maybe I'm not right. Maybe mm-hmm. I, there maybe there is a better idea than what my idea is. Yeah. And usually, I mean, and usually though, it is the case that. We can do both things. Yeah. 
or their ideas better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like makes sense. It's very rarely is it we just skip my thing, we do my thing, and forget <laughs> about theirs. Usually, it's either their ideas better, or we can do both. Yeah, I mean it. I mean it's, and I try to be realistic because I, I am thirty. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I work with are older than me. Right. They have more wisdom. They've lived life longer. Yeah. They know more about my people. Like in today's world that I'm living in, I mean, it's in, in my tribal um, government life I'm in now, um, almost everyone's older than me. Yeah. And elders, uh, our elders' ideas are important to me and their their wisdom's important to me and our veterans and listening to them and, and gathering that insight. Mm-hmm. And we have a we have a veteran and we have an elder. We actually have two elders on our uh, business committee right now, and listening to them and their ideas and their experiences and yeah. and so oftentimes I listen, and I'm trying to get better at it. Yeah, and it's and I know one of my one of my really good friends. Um, he wrote a book called Weeding and Patience, and uh, and he is a uh, he's one of the elders at our church. And we talk about what patience really is. And patience isn't me sitting here talking to you, waiting for my turn to talk. Right. Patience is me sitting here listening to you and learning from God about what it is that I need to learn. Because I haven't learned enough. And God's trying to teach me something through my impatience. Mm-hmm. And sitting here talking to you, oh, I wish you'd stop talking so that I could say what I want to say. <laughs> and I'm sure, I know for a fact, I may have done that today already, <laughs> once. But that's not the point of, of being long-suffering. The point of being right. long-suffering is, is learning. Yeah. And uh, there's so much we can learn in this life from other people if we just sit down and be quiet and, and let God teach us. And, uh, but, yeah, it's, yeah. I like it. Yeah. That's, that's really good. Yeah. Actually, it's really, really good. Yeah. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but we didn't get in depth. The question is, how do you deal with negativity? Because we talked oh, about yeah. Twitter and you take the good with the bad, vice versa. But how right. does the chief whew, deal with negativity? So, honesty. So, if it's something I've done and I've caused someone to be upset, first of all, I apologize. Mm. Even if it may not be something that was like a wrong thing to do, right? Maybe it wasn't illegal. Maybe it wasn't hurtful. But it made that person feel bad. And I made him angry, so I apologize for my role in that. And I'm never afraid to say I'm sorry, ever. Um, I'm sure there's people out there that are waiting for me to apologize to them from earlier time in my life that I wish I could think of you and apologize to you right now. But um, in this this point in my life, I don't ever let a day go by that if I screw up, I don't go tell you I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And even if we're going to disagree, like if maybe it's something politically that you don't like that I did, I'll still say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I didn't mean to. It's not my intention. I disagree with you here. Um, but I'm still sorry that it hurt you. Um, right. And so social media can be that way sometimes. It's a little bit harder to, to have those conversations. It's a good place to flesh out differences. Yeah. But it's not the best place to probably fix a difference that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, or fix a relationship. That's done over coffee. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's any way to apologize to someone without doing it face-to-face. Unless you're going to you know, write a novel to them. Which yeah. I guess you could, but um, not on Twitter. Yeah, but, but no, I think uh, it's hard because in an elected position, you get beat up a lot. Yeah, um, and and I have been. Uh, it w- Twitter wasn't as big as it is now when I was in office four years ago. Right, nearly five years ago. I yeah. mean, it was it was big, but it's 
it's a whole different animal now. Mm -hmm. And what's allowable, what's not allowable, some of those things have shifted. Uh, yeah. The way that threads work on Twitter and all those types of things is totally different than it used to be. And, yeah. Um, so, and of course, the political climate's different than it used to be, too. I mean, it's been, the last five years has been incredibly um, uh, volatile when it comes to politics mm -hmm. on the left and the right. Yeah. And so it's no matter where you're on the spectrum, it's changed. Mm -hmm. And so we, uh, I think, dealing with the negativity, um, first of all, like I said, I apologize if I'm able to. And then um, after that, I'll explain why I made the decision I made. Sure. Because it's more important that you understand that I care about the fact that you've been hurt than yeah. it is about you knowing why I did what I did. Right. And sometimes they go together. But, um, but yeah, no, I, uh, most of all, I just try not to get drawn into anything that's going to be too bad. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult for sure. But I'm sure you see it. I mean, you see the, the way that social media can go. And, yeah. And trying to stay out of it is always the best way to do it. That's why I'm undefeated. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You are undefeated. <laughs> I don't. I see the negativity, and I know how it makes me feel. However, I can control by my actions on what I reply or how do oh, I yeah. intervene and communicate at that point. That's something that we talk to our kids about. That's something so, my wife and I talk about. Is you and I? I am in charge of my own reaction, right? The ownership. No one. No one else gets me to do anything. Right. No one can make me. No one can make me come over there and yell at you in your face. That's my decision. I'm in charge of my own actions. That's it. Mm -hmm. I don't get to control yours. Correct. I control mine. Yep. That's it. And at that point, if I decide to get involved in something that's going to cause problems, it's on me. And then I'm the one that gets to respond to it and deal with it and live with it as long as it takes to get past it. Yeah. So, uh, I think hopefully that's something my kids learn, especially in the age they're growing up in where they're going to have the opportunity to make a fool of themselves faster than I was able to. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. No, <laughs> we could talk about that all day long. Oh yeah, we could. Have you ever had anyone, let's say on social media, try to bait you into a debate, whether it's, Oh, absolutely. By anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so usually I just don't respond. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll holler at me for a day or two and then, Move on. But I try. Usually what I, I just give my phone number. It's like, if you want to have this conversation, we can do this in person. Excuse me. Yeah, we can do this in person. Um, There's no way for either of us to come out of this thing feeling better doing it on the internet. Yeah, because you can't hear the voice. There's no way. Yeah. And so I could give you every fact. You're not going to believe it because you're not acting rational right now. If I get involved in this, I'm not going to be acting rational either. Mm. And so let's have a rational conversation. And then... I mean, I may leave. You may change my mind. But you're not going to change my mind on the internet. Yeah, that's <laughs> It's so just not going to happen. Right. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Because if, if you've if you baited me in, I'm already past the point of where I'm going to be rational. Yeah. I For me, anyway. Other people may be different. But for me, yeah. if you're able to bait me in, you've already got into the, the heart of why I'm upset, probably. Or mm -hmm. why you're upset. And how yeah. it's emotional. And no one can be rational when they're being emotional. Which yeah. It's not possible. Yeah. What has a couple of things in life taught you how to be more rational, how to control your emotions? Oh, so, I mean, my faith. So I'm a Christian, which right. you, I'm sure you're yeah. aware of watching me on Twitter. I, yep. I try to wear it on my sleeve. I've tattooed it on my body. Like it's, uh, I've got to remind myself because ultimately I'm accountable to Christ. You know, mm -hmm. I talked about like I'm accountable to man, to man. So man and women, I'm, I'm accountable right. to the human race. 
I'm ultimately accountable to, to Christ. And so, and I've failed him often and, and I'm doing my best to, to not, but I can't do it outside of, outside of the strength that he gives me. But, um, so I have to learn how to be rational and I learn a lot of being rational from the word, uh, about how to conduct myself around people, how to conduct myself within my day to day life. And, and so in first Corinthians, it talks about no matter whatever I do, whether I eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. Mm. So I think it's my daughter will correct me if I get it wrong, but I think it's first Corinthians ten thirty one. So, um, no matter what I, whatever I do, whether I eat or drink, I do it to the glory of God. And so that means that I'll make, I'll make a, a big deal out of God. So glorified to glorify means to make heavy. Mm-hmm. So to make a big deal out of God, no matter whatever I do. So yeah. whether I'm a chief or if I'm, um, like when, when I was 18 years old, making less than $18,000 a year, getting married and, uh, Oklahoma Baptist University, moving tables and chairs around buildings, like glorifying God by doing that. Right. So, um, so to me, um, being rational comes down to understanding that if I have to stay grounded in what I believe. Yeah. And if I do that, then most things don't make me angry. Yeah. And emotion is what causes you to be irrational. Yeah. And so, uh, so my faith for sure holds me. Um, but I think, uh, outside of just watching other people react helps a lot. Oh, yeah. So regardless of their faith, <laughs> Christians are do terrible things all the time, make terrible decisions all the time. I do sometimes. Um, but watching other people react irrationally mm. is probably, it's kind of like, what do they say? You know, you babysit your, your brother's kids, so you'll have a, it's a good birth control, right? Or you babysit your cousin's <laughs> kids or... Your, your, or your nieces and nephews, uh, good birth control. Obviously, I didn't do that enough because I've got four kids. But yeah, um, watching other people make fools out of themselves right. on Twitter and on Facebook yeah. is really what grounds me in yeah. being rational because I don't want to do that. Like very rarely, I mean, I, I called out a someone that was running a, a candidate running for office a few weeks ago, and I didn't want to do that, but I weighed the pros and cons before I did it. Like it wasn't like a dad gummit. I'm so angry at you for making this decision that I'm going to do it right this second. It was a thought about it for a while before I did it. Yeah. I thought, what's the, what, what is the positive that can come out of me doing this? Mm-hmm. And there was a positive. What was the positive? So it was, uh, it's actually Stephanie Bice who just won, okay. won the nomination and I supported her. Yeah. And, and she had made some comments about tribal sovereignty on a televised debate and she, I think it was, I think it was a baited answer. I don't think she would have given that answer had she been given more time to think about it. It was like one of those two minute questions that you have 10 seconds to answer. You mm-hmm. know? And so I don't, I don't put all the weight on her, but the answer was a bad answer. It was not a good answer. And if she truly believed that, then I felt like she had misrepresented who she was to me. Mm. And so, and I talked to a lot of people about supporting her in the primary. And so I felt, I felt a responsibility to call out that response publicly and engage with her to get the answer that I thought she really believed. Yeah. Or to at least have the conversation to explain to her why her answer wasn't adequate for the district that she's representing. Yeah. Or wanting to represent. And so uh, we ended up talking the next morning for a half hour mm-hmm. or more. And, you know, it, it was a great conversation. Yeah. And she ended up correcting her uh, answer. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not what I meant. This is what, I'm, this is what I really believe. 
And so it was a positive. And mm-hmm. I don't think I changed her mind. I think I just explained to her how what she said could be heard for something she didn't think she was saying. Right. right? And so while she felt it was misconstrued, I said, "There's, you have to correct it or it's going to continue to be taken as you said it. Yeah. And so That's true. to her credit, she called me. The other candidate never did. I called yeah. them both out, not just her. And so, because uh, they both answered relatively the same way. And, uh, and to her credit, she as a good public servant. She heard someone she wanted to represent, reached out to her, and yeah. and she took care of it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and, and I think that's that social media can be used that way. Yeah. Ultimately, maybe, maybe I should have just called her. Maybe. But because I had done so much publicly to help her. Right. And maybe not so much publicly in which I'm a face of the campaign. Right. But right. I'm a face of the campaign to the people I talk to. Absolutely right. Um, I felt publicly doing it was the right way to do it. She probably would have appreciated how I just called her. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's just important to, yeah. to, to use it for the right reasons. Yeah. And it allowed for her to publicly correct it. Yeah. And it did. It really forced her hand to. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean... I do have a little bit of politics left in me, probably, but um, <laughs> but I love Stephanie. I think she's a good person. Yeah, um, and we uh, met her too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I saw the picture. Yeah, um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully, her and Kendra have a uh, congressman, Congresswoman Horn have a spirited general election. I think it will be good. I'm excited to see both the campaigns. Hope it's positive. I can't stand negative campaigns. I'll never be a part of one. Um, even even if I mean. There is, I don't think there's any way you could force me to go negative. Yeah. On my own. Might as well just not even do it. Yeah. I would rather not run or get beat than go go negative. Um, Right. uh, I saw one of the most negative races I've ever been a part of. I was supporting Shane Jett in this primary against Senator Sharp and the the independent expenditures, which candidates can't be a part of legally, Uh went extremely negative on Senator Sharp. Extremely negative. Some of the funniest mail pieces I've ever seen. Um, They called him Count Taxula and made him look like a vampire. Um, uh, lots of funny things like that. Um, if he would have won, Shane ended up winning yeah. um, the primary and the runoff. But if he would have won, I would have framed him afterwards. Like if he, yeah. would, I mean, if I was him, I would have framed. They were so outlandish but funny. Yeah. And then there were some extremely negative ones towards him that weren't funny. But to me, that wasn't Shane going negative. That was an independent expenditure that right. Shane couldn't have anything to do with. Well. I mean, Ron's campaign ended up going extremely negative out of his own, his own campaign did. Mm-hmm. He did. And he even printed Shane's address on a mail piece. Oh. So he's got, four, he's got three little girls at home. Man. And, he, and to me, that's unforgivable. Yeah. Um, so negative campaigning, I mean, if you want to go negative, that, that's on you. But there's some certain things that are off limits, and that's always family. Yeah. You don't ever go after my family. True. If you want to go after me, decisions I've made, you can go after me, decisions I made. But you, you don't go after my family. Right. And ultimately, that's what that other candidate ended up doing and um, really made me frustrated and, and, and made me not want to deal with politics, like just, you know, for a couple hours anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> so but no, I think uh, uh, there's, there's a lot there's a lot to learn about watching people and how they interact yeah. in politics. But That's cool. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the fact that you engaged Stephanie Bice mm-hmm. on social media because I, I felt because I actually was yeah, thanks for drawing me back in there I don't know yeah. where I was going to end up and... oh no no <laughs> but what I want to say is we engage our listeners our viewers on Twitter as well right so I have a question box all right that they have the our our Twitter friends have 
DM'd us our questions we should ask the guests. It doesn't matter who the guest right. is. Right, these are good questions. Yeah, these are good questions. So we're gonna let you answer a couple. Okay. Do I have any pet peeves? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, one of my pet peeves. <laughs> That's a good question. It's funny. I don't. I don't like it when people honk their horns. About car horns? At other people. Okay. So my wife and I, when we have arguments, they're usually over really important things. Like I try not to argue with my wife about petty things. Um, I'll just let her be right before I argue with her about something that's petty. Okay. So if someone like gets too close to her, she'll honk. And I will get into the biggest arguments with her about there's no reason to honk. They weren't going to hit you. And I, if I'm at a busy intersection in New York City, if someone honks, I know they're honking at me. Like, there's no telling. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing anything. Why are you honking your horn? I hate it when people honk. Okay. And it shouldn't bother me. I should have so much joy that that, that doesn't bother me, but that is a pet peeve. Okay. It's a funny one, but it's. That's pretty interesting. But it, oh, it makes me so angry. <laughs> That's good. All right, there we go. There you go. There you got me fired up. Oh, man. Ask that question. All right. What is your favorite weekend activity? So. Weekend activity. So, Olivia and I are foodies. Okay. We love f f all trying all sides, all, all kinds of food, going all sorts of places. Um, and so, I love it when we get a few days to ourselves. Yeah. And even when we take the kids with us, it's great. But going and uh, trying different food. Yeah. Um, we have some favorite restaurants that we go back to, but um, but it's kind of hard now with all the stuff shut down. Yep. That was kind of, that was maybe the hardest part about yeah. the real shutdown that happened mm -hmm. was not being able to take her out to try new food. And so we're actually doing, so our anniversary is on, is tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. 10 years, Yep. which is exciting. And I thank God for that. And um, we uh, were going to do the plug for my buddy, Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell, who's yep. also the Secretary of Tourism. Um, he, uh, they came out with the Route 66 uh, passport and so it's about this big, and you can get it for free at travelok.gov, maybe. Yeah. Um, or is it real quick out there? It's order, you order it, and uh, it comes to your house in just a couple days. And it's like it looks like a little passport, but you go get it stamped on different places on Route 66. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do that this weekend. That's where, how we're going to celebrate our anniversary. That's awesome. Driving around. We have someone watching the kids Friday night and Saturday night. And we're just going to drive up and down 66, getting stuff stamped. Fantastic. Trying good food. Watch. I think we're going to social distance watch a concert go to a, listen to a concert at the round barn okay I think they're having one this weekend so we're going to stop by for a little bit and listen to that stop by pops pick up a pop and you know just fun stuff like that nice yeah. so we like that's my favorite thing to do is hang out with my wife and my kids but Very we're cool. foodies so going to the restaurant specifically yeah we enjoy that but yeah that's awesome yeah what do you wish people would ask you there's two questions that no one ever asked but you wish someone would just like man i wish someone would ask me this question what's your favorite book what is your favorite book? Okay, so always start with I love the Bible, so we'll set that one there. Perfect. But um, my favorite book ever is probably um, that's funny. I asked the question, and I don't really have a great answer on it because <laughs> I have so many as I say it. But um, currently, my favorite book I've read recently is called um, uh, Radical, and David Platt wrote it. And he's a pastor. He was down in Alabama. Then he was also the president of the International Mission Board. And now he's the, the, the pastor at McLean in Washington, D.C. 
but uh, and it's about like living your life in a radical way for God. Mm. So Radical is currently my favorite book, but I love to read. That's why no yeah. one ever asked me that. What's, what's your favorite? What are you reading now, Justin? Yeah, that's my favorite question. But rarely do I get asked that. That's interesting. I was part of my question I wanted to ask you is if you could take a scene from a movie or your favorite book, mm-hmm. what would your season of life be like right now with that book? I'd be overseas. Mm. I'd be doing mission work right now. Nice. If I could, out of that book, I would be overseas, yeah. somewhere where there's unreached people with the gospel and just allowing God to yeah. use me that way. That's awesome. Um, that's what I, if, if I could take any scene from any book, that's what I'd be right now. Man. See, I was going to allude to that, but there you go. There you, you go. Got into it, yeah. Man, what's another question you wish people would ask you? How about this one? Why, why are you a Christian? Mm. No one asked that question. And I don't know if it's because I don't put myself in enough positions to get asked that question. Um, or if it's just because we live in America and that's not really something you ask. You don't talk about religion and you don't talk about politics. Right? Well, that's what they say. That's what that's like, However, you, it's you, like... You avoid those conversations usually would be, I mean, in most of my life, I have avoided those conversations. Hmm. And so, um, but yeah, that's probably the other question I wish people would ask me. And of course, the answer to that one is that, um, and I wear, uh, and the tattoo, I'm not wearing a shirt that's going to allow me to do it, I don't think, but um, I have a tattoo, it's the cross, and it's uh, Galatians 2.20, and it's, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. And so, um, to me, that's always my answer. If I get asked that question, yeah. is that I have a God who loved me, yeah. gave himself for me, mm-hmm. reconciled me with my Creator, and now I have a future. Man. So, that's that's my answer to that question that I ask myself. Wow. You, you seem like you're deep critical thinker so my next question here we don't go do it, don't do it i'm going it's not math is it no okay we're gonna touch on that but i threw independence in my head okay to okay factor okay. off the yeah, okay. miscalculation thank you thank you thank you thank <laughs> you <laughs> 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 yeah i've embarrassed myself more than once in fact so i don't have my degree okay i don't have a bachelor's okay i don't have an associates i don't have anything i have like 122 hours of school but it has amounted to nothing, nothing. <laughs> but I do have, I do have a lot of hours. Uh, but you know what? In class, I have nine hours left for my bachelor's. You want to know what one of those three classes is? Math. I have never completed a math course. I became a youth pastor in 2000 and 2009. Yeah. And I dropped out of the math course I was taking on Wednesday nights because I had to be at church to be mm. the youth. Yeah. So I never took it. Maybe one day. Okay, well then this might help answer okay. my next question. So okay. then the question is, what do you think you regret, regret not doing in the next 10 years if you don't do it? What do you regret? Going overseas. Mm. If I don't go overseas, maybe not long-term mission work, but um, if, I don't, if I don't do that, if I don't go overseas this year, I'll be disappointed. That, it only gives me four months, so I probably yeah. won't do it this year, but maybe I will. Yeah. Um, but I think that um, we're supposed to go throughout to the ends of the earth and make disciples. And I, I really do think that is a command that yeah. I have not been obedient to. Um, I've gone overseas. Olivia and I, Olivia went to 
both Burma and Thailand. Oh, I've wow. Been, I've been to Thailand to do mission work and learned a lot about it there. But um, anyway, no, I, I feel like I'll be really disappointed if I don't do that. Okay. Um, and then I think that I'll be really disappointed if I don't um, invest in my kids' lives. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I never doubted that my father and my mother loved me. Right. Um, the, the example I try to give my children is it, it's God, it's your mom, and then it's you guys. Mm. Because, and, and that's the example I want to leave my kids. Now, I don't want yeah. them to think they're not important to me and they're number three. And, you know, but because of that, because my kids may not get to have kids. Right. But if they get married, I don't want their marriage being dependent upon having a child. Yeah. Um, and I want them to be um, focused on their spouse. And I've got two boys, two girls. And I want to be cry. I want them to be Christ-centered, and I want them to to love their spouse more than mm-hmm. anything else on this planet. And your children see that. Yeah, you're loving your kids by doing that. Yeah. So one well, of my kids, I love my kids more than anything. I mean, it's it's, but it's it's a struggle that I have. I put my kids first all the time, above Christ, above my wife, and it's hard not to. Um, but I, I think that if I don't invest in my children, um, and that means putting Christ first, putting my wife second. Um, if I don't do that well, then I'll, I will regret that. Yeah. And I see families and marriages that fall apart because of children and, and children mm-hmm. who aren't loved because yeah. they're put, they're not even put anywhere near the top three. Yeah. And so to me, it's, um, that, that would be my, probably my biggest regret would be not loving yeah. my children in a way that they understand who Christ is to me and who my wife is to me. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's similar to Vince Lombardi's approach when he's a football coach. Okay, what he, is his he talked about God first, and I believe it was family uh-huh. football. Yeah, you know, I think it was in that order. Yeah, yeah, Lombardi. And I think I'm sure I've seen that quote. One of my favorite um, figures, and I know so little about him, but what you do hear about him, mm-hmm. that's like what you want people to think about you when you're gone. <laughs> like, yeah, gosh, that guy was truthful with me. Yeah. He was hard on me, but he wanted what was best for me. Absolutely. Because if not, he would have put football first. Yeah. yeah. If he cared about, if he didn't care about his players and his other coaches, right? It wouldn't have been God and family before football. That's exactly right. There's a lot of coaches yeah. you see that do put football first. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You watch a lot of football? I used to. Not anymore. No. So two years ago, I got rid of our TV. Okay. Everything, and I watched. I watched OU every Saturday and I watched Dallas every Sunday. Yeah. And that was my day. Yeah. And I realized I'm giving up eight hours a weekend that I could be spending with my wife and kids yeah. to football. And so now I don't, I'll say I don't pay attention. I pay attention to yeah. it, but it's not, but I lived and breathed it, man. If OU mm. lost, that would ruin my weekend. It's my week. Yeah, I, I don't want that anymore. I'm not saying that it's a <laughs> sin to do that, but it was becoming a sin for me. It really was. It was, it was yeah. becoming an idol for me, or became one for right. me. And my father-in-law probably said it best, and I'm not angry at him for saying this to me, but it's it's what prompted me to give it up, was that, you know, if people ask about Justin, what are they, what are, what's the first thing they're going to say if they ask who Justin is? They're going to say, he's an OU football fan. That's not what I want people to say uh, about me first. I want them to say he loves Jesus. He loves his family. He works his tail end off for people. I want them to say those things about me. I don't want them to say he loves OU football. Man, I guess you just answered my one of my questions. What do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? That's it. Well, there you go. I mean, I want the people to know I love Jesus first. Yeah. And there's a there's a 
a really hard part about that is that, you know, Jesus asks you to hate everything but him. And that doesn't necessarily mean I go hate my wife and my children. Right. But in comparison to him, to my love I have for Christ, yeah. that I got to hate everything else. Yeah. And that made giving up football really easy. And it wasn't because it was interfering with my faith in Christ. It may have, it may have canceled out my witness a few times yeah. because of how much I cared about football. But um, it's crazy, though. I mean, I see how much football meant, meant to me. Yeah. I and mean, we're probably way over the time we're supposed to spend together. No, but, you're good. You're good. But um, when, like yesterday, my son showed up and he was carrying a football. We don't have footballs in the house. Not because I don't want football in the house, but we just don't have any right now. Yeah. And he carried a football in from his aunt's house, and he just sat it there in front of me. It's like he made a point of me knowing he was carrying a football around because he remembers how imp- my my seven year old son remembers how important football was to me. That he still brings footballs to me like it's something I. I mean, I used to probably carry one around the house. Like, I mean, I was a, I, and I probably wasn't even the most extreme fan ever. Yeah, but no, I mean, it was. I lived and breathed it. Okay, man. I remember my biggest moment ever was meeting Switzer. Oh, that was my biggest. King himself. That was my biggest moment ever for a long time. Yeah. In fact, you asked me four years ago my defining moment. It may have been when I met. <laughs> well, I'm glad I yeah, met I'm you four glad, years yeah, later. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. <laughs> now I'm really thankful, Chief, that uh, obviously I followed you for a long time. Actually, on Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, well, we followed each other because I remember listening yeah. to your first one you did with, not your first one you did, but the the one you did with Pinnell. Yeah. I remember listening to that when you had him on mm-hmm. right after you released it. And so yeah. it, uh, you've done a good job and I, I like what you're doing. It, first of all, I like talking to you. Yeah. I appreciate that. So I like getting to know people Yeah, and, um, allowing that to be a, a platform in which you can do that publicly. Mm-hmm. And it's a good, I mean, our conversation has been good. Oh yeah. hundred percent. It's been a good conversation. Genuine, authentic. Right. Love it. So yeah. you probably said this one before though, but before we go, Tell me your defining moment. <laughs> well, I've had many defining moments, and I, the, I talked about one of them on my pod, my first podcast about right. when I was super fat when I was younger. I, I, was yeah, I, remember, I remember that one. But let's fast forward to this year. Okay. Um, right when the pandemic was setting in, the first couple of weeks, I feel like most people in the world could agree that there's a lot of fear. And... I had this fear driven into me a little bit, and so did my wife, and then I went to my parents' house, who escaped from a communist country, and so I talked to them about it, and my mom and dad were just looking at me, my mom's in Vietnamese, she's like, well, there's a lot of people starving on that boat, and they're dying of diseases, and then my dad chimes in and says, we were also dodging bullets. Yeah. So I let that sink in. Yeah. And so I appreciate you asking that question because from that point forward, it's like, man, I'm not going to be defeated. Well, and I noticed right? a change in the way you even use Twitter from that point forward. And I didn't even yeah. know I didn't even know that happened. Really? Yeah, you got a lot more aggressive in your in your push on being undefeated and yeah. and uh, making the most of what we have here. And mm-hmm. and we live in a we live in a place that I would argue that everybody wishes their country was as free as ours. hundred percent. Everybody yeah. probably wishes their country was as free as ours. Yeah. And maybe not everyone wants to leave their country. And I'm not saying they do. Right, right, right. But people have fled like your parents did mm-hmm. to get to this country. Mm-hmm. And this country isn't always right. Correct. We're not always right. 
Yep. We're, we're oftentimes not right. Um, but we are free mm -hmm. from so many types of torment yeah. that other countries have. We, yeah. And we, you know what the truth is? We probably won't always be. Right. So it's, uh, I think it's important to take advantage of that when we can and, and uh, utilize the freedoms that we have. Yeah. We get to choose what jobs we have. We yeah. get to choose what kind of education we get. And not everybody has the same circumstances, yeah. but everyone has the same opportunity to dig themselves out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and we also are all free to serve and be helpful to those that need our help. That's right. And so um, one last thing. So sure. One of my friends um, told me, because of Jesus, I am free to say yes, and I'm free to say no. Mm. I'm free to say, no, I will not do that. And I'm free to say, yes, I will. Mm. And so I think it's important to remember that um, we are free to say, yes, we will help those that need our help. Right. And I think that's the most important thing we can do at any time. But right now, especially when there's people that are afraid, people, I mean, people are always dying. Yeah. Like this, this is not a new thing. Yeah. But this fear is new. This is a new fear, and so I think it's important to to encourage people and and to give op to take advantage of opportunities you have to be encouraging. Yeah, that's and, that's that's exactly so, right. Anyway, you're, we're free to help. Yeah, I think that's important to remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, my parents got rescued by the Mil United States military. Yeah, and so they were on that boat for thirty three days, obviously. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. one of the key points of when I was talking to my parents about this whole um, shutdown is my dad made the comment also it's like no one in the united states a citizen that was born here has ever lost our country's flag yeah and they lost their south vietnamese republic flag mm. it had to be brought down because it was no longer recognized because of the communism and the communists taking over so i mean if that doesn't send a, yeah. a shock wave or some chills into your body then man it's yeah we have to appreciate what we have yep 100%. doesn't mean we can't be better. Correct. You're right. But we have something that a lot of places don't have. Yeah. And we won't always have it. And so you yeah. do what you can with it. You take advantage of it. You aid it. You help it. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is that you need to do at that moment, you yeah. do it because you don't have it forever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you. Okay. Well, I got two more. <laughs> what are you most proud of? My faith in Christ. Love it. That's it, man. I, uh, oh man, I could give you so many answers to things I used to be proud of. Um, but no, my, uh, my faith in Christ is what I'm most proud of. Um, and I, it's hard sometimes cause I want to say I'm really, really proud of my kids and everything they do, but, um, I'm, I'm really proud of, uh, of what Christ has done for me, uh, the way he changed my heart when he decided to do that. And, and I was, uh, I was seven. Wow. When I, when I came to faith, um, and I don't know that I'm fully aware of, of what that looked like until much later in life, but yeah. I was seven and I vividly remember it. And, uh, and so I'm kind of walking through my kids there right, with my kids there right now. My oldest two at the same time came to me last year and me and Olivia and said they wanted to talk mm -hmm. about it. I'm slow playing them, but, um, but they're, but they're starting to understand what that might look like for them. And, um, and we're doing, I mean, we're doing a lot of things differently than our parents did raising us and things yeah. like that. But, um, but in the faith, um, yeah, proud of, proud of my faith in Christ and, and, and proud of what he's done for me. And, 
uh, happy to be free to be able to say that. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. That was yeah. beautiful, actually. Yeah. Well done. What else? What else you got for me? How, How do you? <laughs> How do our listeners and viewers get in touch with you? No f cell number, obviously. Oh, sure. So um, you can find me on Twitter. And right now I'm, I'm Justin underscore F underscore Wood is what I am on Twitter. Right now. I change it every once in a while just for fun. Okay. I like to throw people off. I change my profile pic a lot too to throw people off. Okay. One of my buddies, Adam, he's a, uh, he's a consultant. He's actually a city councilor in the village now too. Um, why do you change your picture so much? I said, I like to keep you on your toes. That's funny. Keep you on your toes. But... Um, so it's Justin underscore F underscore Wood. Yeah. I'm easy. I'm easy to get a hold of. Um, you can message me on there, um, and that's that's probably the best place to mm -hmm. to find me. But yeah, yeah. And you always interact with people. So I try to. It's great. Yeah, I try to. I uh, I mean, if I can help you. Yeah. I guess I love to kind of help volunteer no, we appreciate or, or do whatever that. I can yeah. to be helpful. But yeah. for sure. Yeah. Last question then. Okay. Chief, look in the camera. Do you approve this podcast? I, I approve this podcast. <laughs> That's your chance to be political. Yeah. My name is My name is Justin Wood, and I approve this podcast. My name is Wong Lamb, and I definitely approve this podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs> I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. Visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast.